0: Please turn with me to Psalm 95. It's good to be here with you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord with a psalm. Psalm 95. Please follow along as I read it to you. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Yes, yes. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And right. his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Yes. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Right. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Amen. That's right. Amen. Let me first explain verses 7b through the end of the psalm so that you understand what the psalmist is speaking of, and then we can look at the rest of the psalm as the applications that it has to us. The Jews had a religion of do and live. As the rest in Canaan was promised to the generation of wilderness, the rest of the gospel was preached to the Jews living in the New Testament. The rest offered in the gospel was to rest from the works of the law as a means of salvation. This was similar to the rest of God on the seventh day of the week. According to Paul in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, he explains this part of Psalm 95 very thoroughly. If the Jews were to reject the rest of the gospel in the New Testament, there was no future for their earthly kingdom. In fact, there was a certain fearful looking for of judgment and condemnation. So there's an example here of the generation in the wilderness who were given the opportunity to enter into Canaan. What did they do wrong? Well, not only did they fail to enter into Canaan when they were commanded to, they had to the Lord many times before that also. From the time they exited Egypt to the time that they came to the brink of Jordan, they had tempted the Lord over and over again. The Lord said it was ten times. That was a hyperbole to say that it was many, many times. So what did they do wrong at that point? They murmured about the manna. They had murmured about the water. They even provoked Moses to wrath to where he sinned against the Lord in front of them. And smote the rock instead of speaking to it on that occasion. Did the Lord know, for example, that manna wasn't the best food to eat for the rest of your life? That was just the food on the way to Canaan. (coughs) There was many other foods in Canaan that he had promised to them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. When they got to Canaan and sent the spires in, they saw it. They saw the grapes that they had to carry between two men on a staff. Right. They knew they weren't going to have to eat manna for the rest of their life, but they murmured about it. Do we ever murmur about anything? What did they say? Numbers 14 has this account. They said, The Lord brought us out in the wilderness so that he could kill us. They questioned God's motives and the place that he had brought them to. That was just the journey. There was this space of desert in between Egypt and Canaan. They had to get to Canaan somehow. This was just the journey. Are we going to heaven one day? This is just the journey. And so, at that point, the Lord swore in his wrath, in Numbers 14, that they would not enter into his rest of Canaan. Yes. And he says in verse 31, But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Right, amen. So this is the direct application to the audience by prophecy of Psalm 95, 7b through the end. The rest offered in the gospel of the Jews in the New Testament, if they were to reject that, they would be similar to their fathers in the wilderness having rejected the land of Canaan. That's the primary application. Now we can... Resume at verse 1 and apply this psalm to ourselves. Verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord, and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Right. The normal relationship to God begins with joy. It results in singing. God is our only source of stability, and we depend totally upon him for all kinds of salvation, including your life, health, peace. And, of course, your eternal life. Yes, right. Verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. God should be approached with thanksgiving. Why? Because we are blessed with the understanding of knowing who he is. Also, his actions toward us have been overwhelmingly good, pleasant, beneficial, kind, and benevolent. Yes. Right. The song we just sang was a perfect lead-in to this Verse here, Amen. look at your life and see what the Lord's done for you. Amen. Yes. Is there anything bad in your life? Is there anything negative that's sustained over a long period of time that won't go away? No. How many things are overwhelmingly good right. that he's arranged your life in a very pleasant situation? Right. And the bumps and bruises we have, if we were to be honest, they're mostly from deviating from the straight and narrow right. path, aren't amen. they? Verse 3. Why <laughs> else? So the, the reasons I just mentioned actually aren't recorded in the psalm directly here. It tells us the reason why we should come into the Lord's presence with thanksgiving. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Right, Did he not remind us of that in Malachi? For I am a great king. Yes. Amen. Our God is the greatest above all the gods of the heathen, the false gods of the heathen, or gods being the rulers of the earth. He's yes. above all of them. Yes. He expects and deserves to be treated like a great king. Right. For example, Nehemiah was afraid to go into the king Artaxerxes with a sad face. When he realized that he had a sad face because the king commented on it, he was sore afraid, right. he said. Are you afraid to enter into the Lord's presence with a sad face? Lord, help us. Our God is greater than Artaxerxes, yes. by far. Yes. Verse 4, And his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. The deepest place of the earth is in the hand of God, and the mountain's strength is his also. Verse 5, he made the ocean and he formed the dry land with his hands. Have you ever tried to make something? How does it compare to what the Lord makes with his hands? Are you excited yet that this is our God? That we get to serve him with gladness? Verse 6, Then, O come, and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Let us put away all pride and gladly acknowledge him as the sovereign potter over our lives. Yes. Yes. He's our maker. We give thanks because we can live to know him. He's our maker. What does the O mean? The O here means that this should be done with great fervency and enthusiasm. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Verse 7. Another reason. For he is our God. We are his sheep. We depend totally on his affection and favor towards us, his protection and his provision, which he indeed is directing towards us, isn't he? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, in the second half of the psalm, starting in verse 7b, what are some applications to us? What is the today here? The today is the gospel era, which we are still in, actually. What does the if mean? It says, if you will hear his voice. That means this is a conditional promise. Right. Mm-hmm. Will you hear his voice? Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, hearing his sayings and doing them was like building your house on a rock. And if you hear his sayings and do them not, you're like building your house on a sand, and great will be the fall of it. Yes. That's right. You see, our belief of the gospel is one and the same with our obedience to the commandments of the gospel. What about the generation in the wilderness? Their unbelief led them to disobedience as a direct consequence of their unbelief. The Lord said, go in and take the land. They had unbelief and fear about taking the land, and that led them to an act of disobedience toward God, which provoked him to wrath the same will happen for us yes and then god turns to be our enemy and his will is rather to destroy us than bless us yeah. even though his original intent was to bless us abundantly until we provoke him and so he swears in his wrath some practical judgments are irremediable that means they are final And they will continue to have practical consequences, possibly for the rest of your life. They may end your life, in fact. We have a New Testament example of that, several, but the Corinthians, for one, they were weak, sick, and some dead already, because they had abused many aspects of God's public worship, especially that of the Lord's Supper, which we incidentally have before us today. That's right, What are some other things we can notice? Unbelief equals an error in the heart. And it means you don't know the ways of God, according to this passage. When we consult Paul's commentary on this psalm, unbelief is evil. He says an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief is a departure from the living God. We notice here, when the Israelites questioned the motive of God for bringing them out of Egypt, do you question sometimes whether God has favor towards you or not based on your circumstances? In Ecclesiastes, we're told, No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before him. Amen. Negative things happen to good people. Positive things happen to bad people. By the momentary fluctuations in the good or bad that happen in your life, don't question the motives of God. Amen. Right if you're living righteously. Yeah, right, that's it. Well, what would be an example of belief? We have unbelief condemned. What would be a good example of belief? Well, Abraham believed God's promise. And here's what Paul said about him. In Romans chapter 4 verse 18 and following, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Right. That's what we should be like. Right. Yes. What's a remedy for this possibility that we could fall into unbelief or disobedience. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 3, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Yes. We have each other for this purpose, yes. that we can come together yes. as Amen. today, that we can encourage one another and exhort one another, provoke one another to love and good works. I hope we all do that for each other today. Are you thankful to be here? Amen. Does the Lord and your brethren both know that you came to here today with thanksgiving in your heart? Come, let us worship and bow down before the Lord, our maker. Let's not harden our hearts today at the preaching of God's word. Let's be tender towards what the Lord has for us. And let us be strong in faith as Abraham and give glory to God.
1: Amen.